Well, good morning. I've always wanted to say good morning like that. So could you say good morning to me? Thank you, thank you. I wanted to start the, the day off right. So when Matt asked me to preach a, a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember when it was, but it was just before the new year, and I knew right away the passage I wanted to preach on. And so um, I, I, I really resonate with what Pastor Tim preached last week. He talked about um, the fact that 2018 was a really tough year for us. Um, and I think maybe a lot of you guys do too, but I think Anik and I, we really, um, we, it was a tough year. Um, uh, you know, in fact, I wanted to preach on God's discipline today. And I, I just, I just got to tell you what God's discipline looks like in my life is uh, children. And so it's true. Those of you with kids know it. Those of you um, who serve in kids probably know it as well. Um, but we love kids. Uh, but the last go-around, God actually decided that we needed a double dose. So if you guys don't know what that means, my wife and I, we had twins about a year and a half ago. Um, and it's been tough. I mean, honestly, uh, it, the, the, I, the screaming and all that stuff, it, it gets on your nerves. It really does. Um, but enough about that. I love my kids. I really do. Um, but, you know, the job piled, piled up a lot of stress. I, I kind of changed positions in 2018. A lot of stress came along with that. And so what happened is I started feeling just tired. Um, I think physically tired and spiritually tired. Uh, with stress comes, you know, a lack of exercise, unhealthy eating, all that stuff. Um, and, and just honestly, the word, it just it, it didn't feel like it used to for me. And so I think a lot of us resonate with that. And so I did what anybody does this time of the year is we make a resolution. Um, and I was not going to call it that, but I decided I'm going to run again. Um, I'm, I'm going to run again. And I remember this time um, back right after college where I was running every day. I had, it was just this time in my life where I thought things were going great. I was running every day. I'd run out to Minto Brown and I'd bring my Bible and I'd find this great spot along the river and I would pull my Bible out and I was reading through Hebrews. Um, and this verse really stuck out, or this passage really stuck out to me. It was Hebrews 12. Um, and so I thought, man, I'm going to preach on Hebrews 12 and I'm going to preach on discipline and, and just the fact that, you know, when you're feeling spiritually tired, you just got to you got to run, you got to do some things, right? And so a lot of you might know where this is going, but um, that created a real problem. And I would be preaching the first part of Hebrews 12 to you today if I had run even once in 2019. So a little bit of vulnerability here. Um, probably a lot of you are looking at me and going, yeah, looks like it. Um, and so God taught me, uh, he taught me something through this. And I really believe that this is what God has for us today. And so... Uh, the best way I can I, uh, give you an image of this problem that, that God has identified with us is um, going to a football game. And so I'm doing two things I never wanted to do today, is preach on a failed New Year's resolution and then giving a sports analogy in a sermon. So here we go. It's up to a good start. Uh, so if any of you watched the national championship game this past Monday, you saw um, Clemson versus Alabama. And, and hopefully I don't lose any of you who aren't football fans here. My wife, I was telling her about this, and she was like, yeah, I don't know, but it made sense at the end, so stick with me here. Um, so, uh, so you have Clemson versus Alabama, and, and it's really the tale of these two quarterbacks. Uh, and really the highlight, everybody was wondering what this uh, quarterback on the Clemson side was going to do. Alabama is the team to beat. If you, follow, if you follow college football at all, you know that Alabama has won, I don't know, I, I'm not good on the sports trivia, but like five or six championships in the last 10 years under uh, Coach Nick Saban. And so um, they are the team to beat. They're the team that a lot of people hate and a lot of people love. And, this, and Clemson decided to go with a freshman quarterback. 
So understand that this guy is fresh out of high school. I think he's 19 years old, uh, and he's got the team to beat ahead of him in his first ever college national championship. And so what ends up happening, if you watched the game and if you didn't, this guy strategically annihilated Alabama. I don't care, all you sports fans, what you're going to say, no, this or that. He destroyed them. It seemed like God was in the game playing for him. I don't think he made a mistake. I can't remember a penalty flag that was called. I can't remember anything going wrong for this guy. I think there was a couple of passes he may have threw a little bit high, but angels came and lifted up the receivers so that they could catch them. Some of you guys watch this game and you're like, yep, that's what happened. It, it was beautiful. And uh, I think a lot of the times this is what we think uh, our Christian race is like. This is what we think the point of Christianity is. And in fact, uh, the quarterback, I think his name was Trevor Lawrence, he had a scripture, he writes a scripture on his wristband or his sweatband um, every game. And this was the one, I kept trying to read it, and eventually I found out it's Galatians 6 9. Uh, you don't need to turn there. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And so I think as Christians, sometimes we think if we just do enough good and we just, you know, we just keep doing that, that we're not going to grow weary, we're not going to grow tired, and we are going to be successful. We are going to win the game, uh, the game against the evil uh, Satan team or Nick Saban team, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so the, the problem with this is there's, a, there's another quarterback on the other team, Alabama, and he's also a Christian. It was a really fascinating game to hear these two guys' stories and testimonies. Um, but, but I was watching the, the game with, over at my brother's house um, with a bunch of people, and everybody's going, get this guy out of the game. The, I mean, that guy, it was the opposite. He was not performing. He was throwing interceptions. I think he fumbled, and flags were all over the place, and it was just not his game. And eventually, in the very end, they took the guy out, and he was out of the game. And I don't even remember his name, um, but I do remember Trevor Lawrence because he was all over Twitter the next day. I think partly because he looks like, you know, your 1980s picture of Jesus with, like, the long flowing hair, and he's just beautiful. Um, so a lot of comments on the way this guy looks. But... This is, this is what uh, we see in culture today. We celebrate success. Everything that we do is about victory and winners. And this is a real problem because what happens is if you don't succeed, we see this all the time with celebrities. If you mess up, if you fail, you need to get out of the game. You don't belong here. And so what happens is the problem that I want to address today is that we as Christians, we're on the wrong pursuit. And instead of uh, the... The Christian life is not about victory, but it's about the pursuit of holiness and peace. And so I want to get into the passage today because this is the, I think this is, um, you're, you're going to see an answer here. And so I'm actually going to preach in Hebrews today, Hebrews 12 even, uh, but I'm going to go, I'm going to skip the first part and I'm going to go down to Hebrews 12. So would you um, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 12? We're going to do Hebrews 12 through 14. I know it sounds short. Uh, I'm not making any promises. Three verses. I've got a lot to do. So let's start out. Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue, some of your translations actually may say strive for here, peace with everyone. And for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so if you're not familiar with Hebrews, 
Um, Hebrews is a book of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, it comes after the life of Jesus, uh, and it's um, after the early church, and Hebrews um, is thought to be actually a sermon. And so today I'm preaching on a couple of sentences. Um, I'm doing a sermon on a couple of sentences in a sermon, which I think is just fascinating, and that's the, the cool thing about the Bible. And so it's thought to be the sermon, and, it's thought, and the, the audience is thought to be the small church, kind of picture maybe like a house church or something, but a small church of uh, Jewish people. And, and so I want to give you that image. And um, Hebrews 12 starts out talking about um, this cloud of witnesses that surrounds you, and the, the author is painting this image of, of like a stadium. Uh, the people at this time maybe are thinking of like the Olympics, and so they're thinking of this stadium. And this runner, which he's painting as you, and he's saying, you're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, so endure this race. And then he goes on later in the chapter to talk about uh, the fact that what happens along the way is that we will be disciplined, but it's for our good, that, that we will um, face troubles and trials, but these, this is for our good. And so Hebrews 12, 12 then starts out, therefore, and so he's referring back to that race and to that discipline, and what he's realizing as this, this um, pastor is preaching to his congregation as he's looking around and he knows his people and he knows that some of them are tired. And so he says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And so this is the diagnosis here of, of our problem that I mentioned before, of our fact that we're pursuing the wrong things. And so what happens is we're spiritually tired. Some of you today, I think, are, you come in here and you're tired. Um, you've been running this race a long time, and maybe it's, you've gone two step forwards and one step back, and you're wondering when you're finally going to just move forward, when you're finally going to kill it, when you're finally going to have that victory over sin. So maybe this year you made a promise. Maybe it's to never sin again. I'm not going to commit that sin anymore. I'm not going to do it. Or maybe today for you it's, I'm just going to read my Bible every day. I'm, I'm going to do it, and finally my, my faith is going to feel real for me. Maybe for you today, it's cleaning up your life. Um, maybe today, it's creating that image for yourself uh, that you see everybody on Instagram looks like. Uh, I was talking with my wife about this concept of, of just what it means to be spiritually tired, and we were just talking about the idea that we just compare ourselves so much. And she was saying that she, uh, she sees all over, she was seeing all over Facebook and Instagram this new show, I think it's called Tidying Up. Has anybody seen this on Netflix? Um, it's, it's the new thing, of course, every year something like this happens before it was minimalism. Um, but apparently the, the idea behind it is that it, um, if you, what you should do is you should touch something and if it doesn't bring you joy, you should immediately throw it out. So that's, that seems like a great concept. I love that she said, but then she saw a meme on Facebook or something where, uh, you know, you go in and you touch your, you go into your fridge and you look at all the vegetables and you touch them and they don't bring you joy, so you throw them out. And, uh, and those dirty dishes, just toss them out. You don't need to wash them, right? So anything that doesn't bring you joy, uh, we should just throw out. And I think we see the flaw in that. Just a, just a side note, I was watching this show, and like one of the great revelations that this lady gave to you, I'm going to give this one to you for free, and the next one you have to subscribe to Netflix, but apparently if you have a lot of handbags, I, I know a lot of you guys are struggling with this, if you have too many purses, bags, whatever it is, here's the trick, right? This is, this is incredible. You put a bag within a bag. So they took this whole segment just to show you that you could get rid of the clutter in your house by putting a bag within the bag. And I... I, I don't know. Some of you are going to this to, to figure out how to clean up your lives. And so this is what we do, though, as Christians, is that we, we, 
we look at what our life, we set this goal of what our life should look like and we run towards that. We run towards, I think a lot of women run towards um, finding the right husband so they can have that perfect looking family. So they can have those great kids that then they can post those pictures of them on Instagram and send out those cards. We've all done this. I do this myself. We do this ourselves. This is what we do. And so maybe for you, you're, you the race looks like, I just got to get that husband. Or I just, my kids just got to get in line. Right? And I think for us guys, well, my show is Shark Tank. I watch that religiously. Um, I love the show because I love success stories. I love the idea that I can just do something. I just, I just need to find that idea, and then I'm going to make like a billion dollars. I'm going to go on Shark Tank, and Kevin is going to love me. Um, I, th this is my goal. Like right now, I'm like, I'm just, I keep thinking about ways that I can just impress Kevin because he's like the tough guy. Uh, if you watch the show, he's like the hardcore businessman. And so it's, for me, it's just about the right job. And this race I'm running is just about getting there. It's just about succeeding in life. And what happens is when discipline comes in, when God comes in by his good grace and wrecks your idea of what your life should look like, our hands start to hang low. Our weak knees start to show. And honestly, what happens is our faith becomes tired. And we start to feel less and less comfortable in church we want to be more and more out in the world. We want to be zoning out in front of Netflix. We don't want to come to church on Sunday. We don't want to be in a community group. We're tired. Our faith is tired. So then we go on to Hebrews 12, 13. And make straight the paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And so maybe for you today, you've let your sin go on a long time, and now there's an injury there. Or maybe you brought that injury in. And so something, something inside of you is, has grown sore. You, you've got this whatever it is. I don't want to give you any weird images actually right now. So I'll just say you've got a gaping wound or something. We won't go too deep into that. But what he's saying is you've got to, put, you've got to deal with it, right? Maybe you're so numb to the sin. Maybe you're just trying to cover it up today. And, and you're not dealing with it. And what this author is saying is we as Christians, we need to be dealing with the things that are in our pathway. What are those obstacles? And sometimes it's not even sin, but sometimes it's just things that are getting in the way. Sometimes it's, it's really the things that lead you into sin. It's old friends. It's an old life, right? Those are the things that you are letting go and you're not dealing with. And the author is very clear here. He says, put out of joint he doesn't want this to take you out of the game. See, what happens is we try to hide those things because we think that we need to show this perfect life. So we all want to look good here. We all want to bring in the, our best, you know, presence. And so we get our kids all ready and we want to look a certain way. And none of us want to show that really we're all just kind of tired and wounded. wounded. We want to cover it up because we're afraid to get taken out of the game. And so if you're familiar with uh, a running or you've done anything athletic, I promise I have run in the past, and so I do know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> but um, so when you're tired, when you're running that race, when you're doing some endurance running or something, uh, what you need is what I would call a second wind. And so maybe it's like an awesome playlist, and then that song comes on when you're, you're running, and then all of a sudden that song comes on, and you're really like, yeah, this is my jam, and you just start remember why you're running, and you just fall in love with it again. Um, or maybe it's just like looking to, you know, some, a goal that you've set, and you remember that goal, and you start running again. Well, this verse right here, as Christians, this is our second win. This is 
the author reminding us why we're running the race. And so he says, pursue for, he says, pursue peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So when I was um, preparing my sermon, when I was thinking about it, and I was still in he- just Hebrews 12 as a whole, I was reading this book um, called The Pursuit of Holiness, and it mentions this verse. And I thought, that's weird. I don't really remember that verse from the passage. Um, and so I thought, I thought I, you know, I went back and read it, and I was like, huh, I, I just, this is kind of one of the things that I think a lot of us maybe just skip through. Um, you know, you, I love the first part of Hebrews, but I just kind of passed through this, and I think it's so relevant that God, like, highlighted this in my life right now, because I think this is what I need, and I believe that this is what our church needs, is to remember what our pursuit is about. In fact, we see this verse over and over in Scripture. Uh, Romans 4, 17 through 18, you don't need to turn there, it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This idea of pursuing peace is in Scripture. Also, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so today what I want to do is camp out a little bit on this verse, um, because I think it's super important. I think what happens is that we... um, we lose sight of what we need to pursue, or we make it our own pursuit. And so I, to, start, um, to start, we need to know what direction we're going. We need to know that all of Scripture talks about the one who is holy. It talks about the God of peace, right? So, and so if we want to pursue peace and we want to pursue holiness, we need to know the God of peace and our holy God. And so what you might do to figure out who, who God is and what man has done for a really long time is we, we, we want to describe him in words. And so a lot of theolo- theologians and philosophers, they come up with uh, words that describe God because we want to know who God is. And so the best I can find is that there's kind of two main characteristics of God um, or two main things about God. One is his absoluteness and majesty. This is this is the awe and wonder about God. And so uh, the words that we can use, these attributes, are his uh, omnipotence, meaning that God is all-powerful, his omniscience, which means that God is all-knowing, um, he knows everything, the thoughts that are in your head, uh, and his um, omnipresence, meaning that he, is, um, existed, he exists everywhere, right? And he's throughout time, he's everywhere at all times. And these are really big words, and these are really great things. And so the second thing that, that I could find was that um, God is morally perfect, that he has this moral standard, right, for you and I. And so we, we know that this is God. The problem with this is that you could use a lot of these same words to describe Santa. And I'm not kidding you here. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake, right? Uh, there's a lot of uh, awe and wonder in that. And Santa's like the moral standard. Have you been good or have you been bad? And so what we try to do as Christians is we try to find ways to describe God so that we can bring him down, so that we can understand him. 
And what happens as a result of that is we try to fit God into our pursuit. We want God to make sense within the context of that race that we're running. But if you want to read this verse and you want to know the God of the Bible, he has to reveal himself to you. See, our God is not a God that we can describe. I think the best way, thing that, a way I could describe it is if you're trying to like see God and fit, in it, fit him into your understanding, you're trying to like drive with a really dirty windshield. Maybe some of you got up really early this morning and you like wiped off just enough so you could kind of see the road. That's what we're doing here. We can never fully understand or comprehend our God. And so as you start reading the Bible, God reveals himself to you. And you start reading about this God who put the stars in the skies, this God who made the heavens and the earth, this God who created the earth and separated the land from the sea, this God who breathed a breath into us and gave us life, a God who over and over and over again, even though we turn our back on him, pursues us, looks after us, and ultimately what he does is he ends up providing a savior for us. The God of the Bible becomes a very big God. And you start to feel very, very small because when you pursue the God of the Bible, when you're in his word, when he reveals his character to you, you see just how big this God is. And also what you start to read about as you go through the scriptures and, you, and you're in his word is you see his law and you see all of the ways. You read the Old Testament and you see all of the ways that we are required to fulfill this moral standard the, the, you start to see the weight of your sin. You start to see the, the death that it brings. You start to see the sacrifice that it requires. And what happens? What happens to me as I was reading this passage and I was, I was just reading about God's holiness these past weeks, is you start to feel very, very small and you really start to feel the weight of your sin. And if you're like me, what happens is you curl up in a little ball and you just don't want to come out. You see, as we start to get to know and understand the God of the Bible, we start to understand just how sinful we are and just how awesome and holy he is. But here's the problem that I have for you today. It said back in 1 Peter that I just read, it says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Do you feel the weight of that? As you feel the depths of your sin, do you understand the impossibleness of that? Have you read through the scriptures and you understand just how impossible that is? Have you tried and tried over and over today to finally kill that sin, to finally do it, and failed? And as a result, are you discouraged? Do you want to give up? Do you want to turn away? Is your faith tired? Well, what's really, really cool about Hebrews, one of the reasons why I love it a lot, I don't know, have any of you guys, um, do any of you guys watch like TV shows where they have this concept of Easter eggs? Like the comic book movies do this all the time. So um, throughout like the movie or something, there's, uh, they, they refer to other movies or other comic book lore and, and like it's like really cool and, and if you're super nerdy, you go, oh, I know what that means and nobody else does and it's like this super secret. Well, if you remember that the author here is talking to, the, to these Jewish people and they know their law and they know their Old Testament, right? And so when he, when he started reading 
uh, or when he started speaking and he, and he said, um, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, immediately they're going to know that that passage actually comes from Isaiah. The book of Hebrews is full of this kind of stuff. It's lots of references to the Old Testament. And so if we read again, Isaiah 35, 3 through 4 says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. But it doesn't just stop there. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will save you. You see, all along, what the author is doing here is he's making some requirements, but he's also referring back to the fact of the, God, the promise that God made. And so as you begin to read through the Bible and this God begins to reveal himself to you, you start to see the character of this God. You start to see his good nature. And you also see that this is a God who over and over and over and over and over and over, it just keeps going on. He keeps his promises to us. We keep messing them up. Throughout the Bible, you see humanity trying and striving and pursuing the wrong race. And God says, enough. I'm going to do it. I'm going to save you. I'm going to make this possible. And so what he does is he provides that salvation. And I love this image uh, from Isaiah, that, that, um, the passage Isaiah. If you, if you know it, it's from Isaiah 6. And so th- th- this prophet has this vision that God brings to him. And, and it's... Uh, Isaiah is sitting there, and what happens is this temple um, opens up, and previously you couldn't go in the temple, and he sees God, and he sees God on his throne in this majesty, in this beautiful image of God, and he sees God, and then there are these cherubim and and these um, sephirim, and there are these weird creatures, right? And there's all this weird stuff going on, and, and it's just so much above and beyond his imagination, and he's trying his best to describe it in the text, but this is this amazing scene where he sees the throne of God. And what happens is these creatures say, holy, 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 right? Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, he's, and the amazing nature of God, he just, he's, he's surrounded by it and the, the building begins to shake. And what happens is he says, he falls down on the ground. He sees the weight of his sin. He's seen who God is and he understands who he is. And he says, woe is me, me, I'm ruined. And then what happens is these creatures bring this coal, this coal that is meant for the sacrifice. So long have God's people been having to come in and sacrifice themselves and strive for perfection and try to live a perfect life. And now what's happening is God is coming out to them and he is providing the way. And so this coal touches the prophet and it transforms him. Right? And it's this beautiful picture of what God has done for us, that we see God and we understand who he is, and he reveals to us the sin. He convicts us of where we have got it wrong, and we fall to our knees and we feel that weight, and then he provides the way through his son, Jesus Christ, who is holy, who is perfect, who did not deserve the death that he paid, but went to the cross. And I love what it actually says in, uh, in Hebrews um, 12, it says, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right-hand throne of God. Right? So no longer do we have to pursue this race of moral perfection, but Jesus came down and endured the cross for us, pursuing us as his joy. And so as a result of that, we are transformed. As a result of that, no longer do we try to run this race where we think that our life is about a victory over sin, but we run towards Jesus who conquered sin ultimately and definitely on the cross. No longer are we trying to accomplish what Jesus has already done for us, and we find our motivation in and through him. And what that does is it transforms us. And so no longer do we need to find our success in this world because our success is on the cross and Jesus has done that for us. No longer do we need to make some image for ourselves because Christ gives us our image in and through him. And our lives begin to change. And now no longer are we trying to kill sin, but we see it as an obstacle before a holy and gracious and loving and perfect God. And we just want to run towards him and we want to get rid of all of those things that are in the way. And I think the problem here, though, is, is that some of us, this is where it ends. That Christ has come and he has saved us. And so what happens is we're like, okay, I prayed the prayer and where's the rapture? Some of you, some of you guys who've grown up in the church, you're, you're, that, that can be it for you. That it's just, it's just this prayer and that magically you're transformed. Uh, the, the idea um, of um, legalism comes up a lot these days. And, and, and some of the problems that we have is um, we, a lot of us maybe were raised where, where Christianity was this sort of moral um, life and we just needed to do good and kill sin. And so what happens is that we pendulum swing the other way. And so we, we start to say things like, well, I don't want to be legalistic about reading my Bible. Uh, I don't want to be legalistic, so I'm going to go watch that uh, movie. And, and I absolutely think that Christianity is not a, a series of moral decisions that you need to make and, and, you shouldn't, and that you just need to um, ask the question, you know, is this sinful? But it's more than that. When, when God starts to transform you, your desires begin to change. And so the problem is, is that some of us don't realize that. We, we think that grace just magically transforms us and there's no responsibility on our, our end. But if you look back at the pas- passage, the reason why I love one of the things it says, the reason why I changed the translation a little here and pulled from a different one, is it says pursue. Because with, when you say pursue, there's an action step there that we have to take. That God doesn't just magically transform you and you aren't just sitting around waiting for that to happen. In fact, what this passage suggests is, is that maybe it never happened in the first place. If you're just sitting around and you are not being transformed and those things aren't happening in your life, the question you need to ask is whether or not you were saved in the first place. And so what I want to do with this passage today is to give you some practical advice on how to pursue peace and holiness out of that. 
So I want to look back at this passage and pull some things out of it. So, the, so there's three things, because every good sermon has three things that you should do. So there's three things that I want you to do. Um, the first one is to allow God to reveal himself through time in the word and prayer. And I love uh, what Pastor Tim talked about last week, um, the idea of be still and know that I am God. And a lot of us don't do this, I think, as Christians, is that we tend to read our Bible when we have time, uh, and we tend to do it on our cell phones or whatever it is, and, and then the notification comes in, and you're like, oh, I just got a Facebook notification or whatever. Don't do that, okay? When I say uh, allow God to reveal himself to you, make a commitment to be daily in the word in a quiet place ready and willing with a spirit that is, wants to receive God in his character. Don't make it about you and just, I'm going to read my Bible today because that's my victory. Make it about God. Ask God to reveal himself to you, to convict you of areas in your life where, you, where sin has taken over, where you have allowed extra weight, you've put that weight on. So the first thing, make time for God allow him to reveal his character to you. You do that through the word and through prayer. The second thing is be with God's people. If you look at this, uh, if you look at verse 12, um, it starts out and it talks about strengthening those, uh, strengthening those weak knees and lifting those hands. The interesting thing about this is, yes, the author of this is talking to you as an individual, but he's also talking to the body, the church body. He's preaching a sermon here. And so what he's referring to also is the body of Christ. And so as Christians, we need to be strengthening each other. You can't do that if you're a, 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 you know, a church on every other Sunday or every month Sunday. What this requires is that you, we say this a lot here at Outward, that you are known and you know people. So be a part of God's people. Join a church. Be a regular attender. Know God's people. And the biggest, most important thing is let them know you. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to paint that perfect picture. We as Christians need to be more vulnerable. We need to be confessing sin. We need to be living in repentance. And that... Uh, moves me to my final point, confession. The, verse 13 the, the, talks about removing the obstacles in your way and dealing with that sin that you've been hiding for so long. And a lot of you, I think, know and understand this. You understand um, what that feels like, that you, this gaping wound that has just been existing there, no longer are you dealing with it, but you're just going to cover it up because you're numb to it. Maybe it's gone on so long that it's killed off a piece of your leg. I'm not trying to paint that, that vision here, but what we need to do is we need to deal with that sin. And so what this means is not only confessing before God, but you need to confess it to someone else here. So as you join a community group, as you join a team, you're going to develop relationships with people. And what I'm asking you to do here today is to be vulnerable with people to confess that sin, to let them know that you're not perfect because you know what's going to happen? You know what they're going to say? They're not going to say, get out of the game. They're going to say, you too? Oh man, I have been struggling with that. I've been dealing with this. And we begin to confess 
to each other, and we begin to be people who no longer are worried about the victories and the comforts of this world, but we see the greater world ahead. We see God's vision and God's race and God's design for us, and He has something that is so much better than anything that we could ever envision for ourselves. So as you begin to pursue holiness, as you begin to see God for who he is, as he begins to transform you, convict you of areas in your life where you've got it wrong, of areas in your life where you've been selfish, he begins to take the spotlight off of you and you begin to notice others around you. And my hope today, church, is that we grow deeper in holiness, we grow deeper in who God is so that we can stop worrying about our own victories and start worrying about other people. You see, because in this passage, it talks about pursuing holiness, but it also talks about pursuing peace with others. And so, church, today, I just, I just have to say that it's on my heart. It's on my heart for us that we need to deal with sin. We need to take it seriously. We need to stop hiding it, we need to start running the right race. We need to see a holy and perfect God because not, not only does your family need you, not only do we need each other, but there's a whole city out there of broken people who need to also see God's holiness, who need to see how broken they are, and they need to see the answer is not in themselves, it's not in something that they're gonna do, it's not in just getting it right, it's not in just reading their Bible every day or living up to some moral standard, but the answer is in Jesus. He is the King of peace, and he has called us to make peace in our city. Will we, Outward Church, in 2019, stop trying to do something that Christ has already done for us on the cross and start trying to pursue him who made it possible. Would you pray with me? God, I just, I thank you so much for your word, God. I thank you so much that when we're off on our own path, when we decide that our ways are the right ways, God, that you step in and that you come to us and that you shake things up, God, so we, will, we remember you, God, what you did for us on the cross, that you were holy, God. God, would we no longer look to ourselves for the answer, but would we pursue you? Would we endure this race and would we finish strongly, God, and would we bring others along with us as we run this race? Would we be encouraging each other? Would we be strengthening each other? Getting rid of that extra weight along the way. God, that is what you have for us, I strongly believe today. God, that is where you want to take us as a church. God, I pray that we would submit to that. In your great name, through you, I pray. Amen.